재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 It is time for David's Bookmark with David Tizard. David is an assistant professor at Seoul Women's University and is completing the research of his PhD in Korean studies at Hanyang University. Morning, David. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning to everybody out there, too. So, the story that you have brought in this week is, is a short story yes. by the great Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the story? The story is the last question, and this is Asimov's self-proclaimed favorite story. This was the favorite of all that he wrote. This oh, is the wow. last question. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. So, can you tell us uh, a little bit about the, the significance of questions in this story? The question in this story, the last question by Asimov, mm-hmm. is one that drives the entire plot. It, it moves it forward. It's, it's really the thing that ties everything together. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading it, and I considered the importance of such a question, mm-hmm. it did make me think, you know, what other literary books, plays, short stories mm-hmm. used questions in, in such a manner. Right, right. Like a thesis. Like a thesis, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I thought of Hamlet. Mm-hmm. To w- be or not to be. That is the question. Exactly. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the question. That existential dilemma of that suicide-infused moment for Hamlet where he right. decides whether he should keep going or, or mm-hmm. not keep going. That mm-hmm. independence that he has to battle with. Right, right. And um, the... The problem with these questions is that, like, when you have the these existential questions, the the answer usually leads to one's demise. <laughs> Dangerous Which makes questions. Me wonder yes. About today's story. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you wonder about today's story because mm-hmm. it's one that provokes and prods, and but hopefully doesn't make you feel that it's leading you towards your demise, but rather towards your. beginning or towards your creation my independence your independence yes Yes. from what however Uh Mm uh-huh early next week it's the march 1st movement known in korea as the samuel undong Mm -hmm. this was in 1919 uh, during the japanese colonization Mm -hmm. and when the korean independence movement started it was prompted by the death of emperor gojong Mm -hmm. in january of 1919 And also given impetus by Woodrow Wilson's speech uh, in which he established 14 points towards Mm self-determination. And this really prompted the the Korean students, the Korean people to work towards their own independence. It gave them their own questions. Yes, yes. And in the case of the March movement uh, in 1919, the independence... Um, the question of independence from mm. what was a little bit clearer. Yes. They wanted their sovereignty back. Yeah. Right, right. And um, the, another very key question that, that comes up in a story that um, we all know is, of course, Waiting for Godot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very famous uh, last question that does not end. No. Okay, so let me ask you this. Yeah. Who is Godot and when is he coming? Um... Godot is red herring, or there there is another word when they use to describe the thing that's it's a Hitchcockian term. Okay, the thing in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction that it means nothing. Okay, it's just there as a diversion. So the way I interpreted it was like nihilism. Godot 
doesn't really exist. And okay, so Godot's a red herring. And when when is Godot coming? <laughs> That's the wrong question <laughs> because there is no Godot. There's okay. Interesting thing I read about Samuel Beckett that um, he used to drive. Andre the Giant to school. Now, Andre the Giant may not mean much to you, Jamie. I can see on your face that you're looking. He was he was a very yeah. big, uh, large wrestler. He was okay. Hulk Hogan's nemesis at one oh. time. I find it amazing that this WWF okay. riot, uh, wrestler and Samuel Beckett used to go to school together. Oh, wow. Okay, that that's blowing my mind. Yeah, yeah, that, that really uh-huh. blows my mind. And if people are into wrestling, it might blow their mind too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into Asimov. Yeah. Can you tell us about the writer? Um... The grandfather of science fiction, I, I think his mm-hmm. uh, his work has seeped through our, our modern culture in so many ways. I mean, we have AI, iRobot, Minority Report, A Scanner Darkly. A lot of the work that he did in the fifties and sixties has been turned into standard science fiction in in Hollywood movies and beyond. Mm-hmm. And we have definitely dealt with him a lot um, yeah. on the bookend, yeah, um, for good reasons. Uh, for very good reason, because mm-hmm. he's got such a he. Has had such prescience he had this ability to write stuff and then later on it, it sort of became true or it, it shaped our our modern world mm-hmm. um so he's a big hero to many asimov um i'm not i haven't gone through his whole oeuvre as it were i haven't mm-hmm. sort of read everything but when i heard that this particular story that we're doing today the last question was his favorite i i searched it out and it blew my mind and therefore this is one of his stories that has stuck with me through Mm -hmm. everything right and speaking of his uh, prescience um there was one quote that he he came up with uh, Mm. a while back that is very very true today can you tell us what that is yeah i see this um on internet sites and and such forth sporadically it gets posted on social media Uh the quote from asimov is there is a cult of ignorance in the United States, and there always has been. The strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. I am getting chills. Yeah. Chills. Chills, good, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's lucky that you're wearing a coat in here this morning. Yes, yes. But yeah, that's one that I that keep That was my impressions. Yeah? Yeah, I thought I was going to get chills. And, and right you were. Yes, yes. Mm. <laughs> um, so let's get right into the this particular story, yeah. the last question. How does he set up this story? The story starts on May 21st, 2061. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that this hasn't happened yet. Again, you see, like, the things from Back to the Future 2, we've already mm-hmm. passed those dates right. and such forth. A uh-huh. lot of the old science fiction, we're already past that point. Uh-huh. But with this one, it's 2061. It features two scientists and a computer, Alexander Adele and Bertram Lupov. Uh-huh. And <laughs> there, there are references in, in those names. Bertram Lupov, I think, is related to Bertrand Russell. Mm-hmm. And uh, a computer called Multivac. Okay. And this computer is one that it features in a lot of Asimov stories. And it's mm-hmm. kind of this... Uh, like a search engine? Yes, like okay. a search engine. It's mm-hmm. the thing that people go to. It, and uh, For it, answers? For answers. Mm-hmm. And kind of, they don't know how it works. Okay. We, they become dependent on it. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the first excerpt that you brought in. And this is from the very beginning of the story? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the story is divided into various sections. But we'll read a little bit from the beginning. And uh, this morning you're going to read with me, Jay. 
Jamie? Yes. Well, it was kind of a secret, but you've given it away. Okay. How Huzz- dare you? Huzzah. You're breaking my heart. Breaking my heart. Well, I will mend your heart again once okay. more with this. Uh, this is from the beginning of Asimov's The Last Question. They had brought a bottle with them, and their only concern at the moment was to relax in the company of each other and the bottle. It's amazing when you think of it, said Adele. His broad face had lines of weariness in it, and he stirred his drink slowly with a glass rod, watching the cubes of ice slur clumsily about. All the energy we can possibly ever use for free. Enough energy if we wanted to draw on it to melt all earth into a big drop of impure liquid iron and still never miss the energy so used. All the energy we could ever use forever and forever and forever. Lupov cocked his head sideways. He had a trick of doing that when he wanted to be contrary. And he wanted to be contrary now, partly because he had to carry the ice and glassware. Not forever, he said. Oh, heck. Just about forever, till the sun runs down, Bert. That's not forever. All right, then. Billions and billions of years. Twenty billion, maybe. Are you satisfied? Lupov put his fingers through his thinning hair as though to reassure himself that some was still left and sipped gently at his own drink. Twenty billion years isn't forever. Well, it will last our time, won't it? So would the coal and uranium. All right, but now we can hook up each individual spaceship to the solar station and it can go to Pluto and back a million times without ever worrying about fuel. You can't do that on coal and uranium. Ask Multivac if you don't believe me. I don't have to ask Multivac. I know that. Then stop running down what Multivac's done for us, said Adele, blazing up. It did all right. Who says it didn't? What I say is that a sun won't last forever. That's all I'm saying. We're safe for 20 billion years, but then what? Lupov pointed a slightly shaky finger at the other. And don't say we'll switch to another sun. There was silence for a while. Adele put his glasses to his lips only occasionally, and Lupov's eyes slowly closed. They rested. Then Lupov's eyes snapped open. You're thinking we'll switch to another sun when ours is done, aren't you? I'm not thinking. Sure you are. You're weak on logic. That's the trouble with you. You're like the guy in the story who was caught in a sudden shower and who ran to a grove of trees and got under one. He wasn't worried, you see, because he figured when one tree got wet through, he would just get under another one. I get it, said Adele. Don't shout. When the sun is done, the other stars will be gone too. Darn right they will, muttered Lupov. It all had a beginning in the original cosmic explosion, whatever that was, and it'll all have an end when all the stars run down. Some run down faster than others. Hell, the giants won't last a hundred million years. The sun will last twenty billion years, and maybe the dwarfs will last a hundred billion for all the good they are. But just give us a trillion years, and everything will be dark. Entropy has to increase to maximum. That's all. I know all about entropy, said Adele, standing on his dignity. The heck you do. I know as much as you do. Then you know everything's got to run down someday. All right, who says they won't? You did, you poor sap. You said we had all the energy we needed forever. You said forever. It was Adele's turn to be contrary. Maybe we can build things up again someday, he said. Never. Why not? Someday. Never. Ask Multivac. You ask Multivac, I dare you. Five dollars says it can't be done. Adele was just drunk enough to try, just sober enough to be able to phrase the necessary symbols and operations into a question which, in words, might have corresponded to this. Will mankind one day, without the net expenditure of energy, be able to restore the sun to its full youthfulness even after it had died of old age? Or maybe it could be put more simply like this. 
how can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? So, listeners, I don't know if you could hear from our interaction, but there's a lot of like contrasting views going on here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's great that these contrasting views are present in this story because this dialectic between the two opposing ideas is carried out. And, of course, they might get a little bit heated with each other, but still that communication between two... Uh, contrasting thoughts is present and I really like that rather mm -hmm. than this kind of shutting down or ignoring of the other person. Right, right. And there's an element of humanness to it. An incredible element of humanness because for a start, you know, they, they've, they've had a drink, which is something that computers do not do. And this is perhaps what stirs them into their argument. They like to be contrary. They like to contradict the other person and they like to poke and prod and pick up on semantic differences. Mm -hmm. so you said forever, it's not forever. Right, and right. And so on. Mm -hmm. The nitpicking. The nitpicking. That people so often do. But it's the nitpicking which drives the story. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is that the sun will last forever, but according to laws of physics and such forth, it cannot last forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of um, the, the nitpicking, we come to the, the question that is central to this story, yeah. which is how can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? Mm -hmm. And so that is a recurring question in this story, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the story progresses in a way in that each moment it jumps forward in time in, in terms of thousands and millions of years. Mm -hmm. But at each moment in the story, the different people or at sometimes entities have this same question. What uh -huh. can we do about the running down of the sun? How can we reverse the spending of energy? Mm -hmm. Because the law of entropy uh, says an entropy is a very difficult concept. Um, it says that once it's used, you, it cannot come back. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the independence that they're trying to gain from the, the, uh, the running down of the uh, energy. Yeah. Right. Okay. And it also brings into our minds modern ideas of global warming, mm -hmm. the use of energy and, and such forth, because mm -hmm. it's very easy for us to think that, you know, well, we'll be all right. We don't have to worry about the future so much. But the future is coming and, and everything that we do has effects that will run on and run on. Right. So it is a biological question and an environmental question, but also on another level, it's a very existential question as yeah. to like whether or not we're going to go on and on and on. Our progeny, yeah. is it going to go on and on? Indeed. And I would also say it's an ontological question in terms of being and an epistemological question in terms mm -hmm. of this use of knowledge and how we go through that. Asimov is a true genius. <laughs> this story is, is great. I'm, I know we might not be doing it justice with our, our readings for it, but yeah, he, he combines so much and it's only this story we should make clear right now. It's only about 4,000 words, I think. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a story that you it's get a quick through read. in about 15 minutes, I mm -hmm. think, the whole thing. Yeah, I read it on the way here. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you did. Mm -hmm. And for anyone listening out there, it's, it's available online. You, you go and find it and please read it. Right, right. So let's look at the second excerpt. What is happening here? What is happening here is it's jumped forward from Adele and Lupov. They get no answer to their question. And yet the question remains, even though the world changes and, and people change and such forth, that, that one question remains. And this is what happens. We'll have a look at a snapshot of the future as Asimov describes. 
It was a nice feeling to have a microvac of your own, and Jared was glad he was part of his generation and no other. In his father's youth, the only computers had been tremendous machines taking up a hundred square miles of land. There was only one to a planet. Planetary ACs, they were called. They had been growing in size steadily for a thousand years, and then, all at once, came refinement. In place of transistors had come molecular valves so that even the largest planetary AC could be put into a space only half the volume of a spaceship. Jared felt uplifted, as he always did, when he thought that his own personal microvac was many times more complicated than the ancient and primitive multivac that had first tamed the sun, and almost as complicated as Earth's planetary AC, the largest, that had first solved the problem of hyperspatial travel and had made trips to the stars possible. So many stars, so many planets, sighed Geraldine, busy with her own thoughts. I suppose families will be going out to new planets forever, the way we are now. Not forever, said Gerard with a smile. It will all stop someday, but not for billions of years, many billions. Even the stars run down, you know. Entropy must increase. What's entropy, Daddy? shrilled Geraldette too. Entropy, little sweet, is just a word which means the amount of running down of the universe. Everything runs down, you know, like your little walkie-talkie robot, remember? Can't you just put in a new power unit, like with my robot? The stars are the power units, dear. Once they're gone, there are no more power units. Geraldette one at once set up a howl. Don't let them, Daddy, don't let the stars run down. Now look what you've done, whispered Geraldine, exasperated. How was I to know it would frighten them, Gerard whispered back. Ask the microvac, wailed Geraldette one. Ask him how to turn the stars on again. Go ahead, said Geraldine. It will quiet them down. Geraldette too was beginning to cry also. Gerard shrugged. Now, now, honeys, I'll ask microvac. Don't worry, he'll tell us. He asked the microvac, adding quickly, print the answer. Gerard cupped the strip of thin cellular film and said cheerfully, see now. The microvac says it will take care of everything when the time comes, so don't worry. Geraldine said, and now, children, it's time for bed. We'll be in our new home soon. Gerard read the words on the cellular film again before destroying it. Insufficient data for a meaningful answer. So there we have the family in space. Mm-hmm. So the answer to the recurring question is that yeah. the microvac doesn't know yet there yet. is in, yeah yeah yet there is insufficient mm-hmm. data currently mm-hmm. once there is enough data then the question will be answered so that's the sort of uh, scientific approach that it will be comprehend it will be answerable once the uh once forever has passed once forever has passed yeah perhaps or once uh-huh. you know we've got everything that we need to answer it right right what i like in that is that regardless of how this family of sort of you know they've all become one they all have the same name more uh-huh. or less jared at one and two jaredine jared yes mm-hmm. so that homogenization is taking place and yet they're still quite human you right. know, they're still lying to their children about what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And destroying so, the answer. Destroying the answer, uh-huh. having it printed. Yeah, keeping these things safe because as children, you know, it's fairy tales. It's uh, all these things that make us believe in happily ever after. Mm-hmm. But science doesn't work in such a way. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that as it progresses, Asimov keeps this reference between humans and science going. This mm-hmm. battle, as it were. Right. Well, we're almost out of time, so give us your last pitch. 
This last pitch, um, if Isaac Asimov says it's his favourite story uh-huh. out of all that he's written, uh-huh. then you should probably take that as a serious recommendation from him rather than from me personally. Okay. Go and start your Sunday by finding it and reading it. It's the last question. Mm-hmm. And before you go, give us a song. Frank Sinatra with an impeccable live version and a swinging band asking you to fly him to the moon. Thank you so much, David. Uh, thank you. And that's our show for this week. We'll be back again next Sunday at 10. Don't forget to tune in again to TBS EFM. Now this man here is going to take me by the hand and he's going to lead me down the right path to righteousness and all that other mother jazz in the right temple.